kept calling me this nickname over and over. I didn't really understand it until later. But the nickname he would call me was Know-It-All. He would call me that. I remember being a, just like a kid. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? What, is, what does that mean? I was the kid who thought he knew everything. You guys know that kid? You know, you know there's like always a little kid who just thinks he knows everything. And, I, and that was me. I was the kid who thought he knew everything. I was bold enough to look my dad in the, in the face when I was like seven years old and tell him that he was wrong about something. And he didn't like it. He didn't, he didn't like it. You know, when you're seven years old, you don't know about anything, you know, more than your parents know, other than whatever your favorite children's show is, something like that. You don't know better than your parents. But I was the type of kid who would, who would always tell my parents they were wrong about something. I would go to school, and I would hear something that one of my friends said, and I, and I would believe it, of course. You want to believe everything your friends say is true when you're a little kid, right? So I go home, and I tell my dad, I'm going to share the password with you, Jeremy. You're welcome. <laughs> I, would, I would go home and I would tell my dad, like, hey, he, uh, my friend said that, that this was true. I mean, just, just the craziest things, right? And he'd be like, Jacob, that's not true. You want me to share it with him? Okay. All right. There's the Wi-Fi. Does everybody have the Wi-Fi now? <laughs> Anyways, point is, I thought I was a know-it-all. I would tell my parents they were wrong about things because... I would hear things at school that I thought was true. My parents would tell me they weren't true. I would want to believe them. They'd say, it's not true, Jacob. I'd say, it has to be true because my friend, who is also seven, he knows everything too. I just, you don't know everything. And I remember one day my dad looked at me. I don't know how, I, how old I was at this point, but he looked at me and he said, Jacob, you'll become a lot smarter if you just admit the fact that you don't know everything. The day that you realize you don't know everything is the day that you get a lot smarter. Obviously, I didn't get what he was saying then because I was young, but that's really good advice. It's very good advice. Things will go a lot better for you if you just admit that you don't know everything, that there are things in life that you don't know. When you feel like you're right about something, there's a, there's a possibility that you're wrong about it because we just don't know everything. And when you realize how little you know, it becomes even more awesome when you think about the fact that God actually does know everything. Think about how much stuff, how much knowledge there is out there that you don't know. But God knows it all. Everything there is to know about everything and anyone at all times, he knows it. I want you to open up to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6 is where we'll be at tonight. We're talking about God's omniscience. Like I said, we're talking about the omnis of God, the omnis this weekend. And we're starting with God's omniscience. It's commonly said that God knows everything. That's probably not news to you. You came here this weekend and you probably knew the fact that God knows everything. But it's truly awe-inspiring when you take time to think, okay, what does it actually mean? What does it actually entail that God knows everything? How vast is his knowledge really? What does it really mean that God 
knows everything. And after tonight, I don't want you to just know the fact that God knows everything. I want you to understand this is what it means that the God that we worship actually is omniscient. He actually is all-knowing. He actually sees everything. Here's what it means. And when you can explain to someone what it means, your worship for him will then be greater. Because it's not just, it's not just a phrase or a fact anymore. Yeah, God knows everything. As he knows everything, and, and here's what his word says He knows. He knows everything. When you understand God's attributes better, it leads to better worship of him. That's what I said at the beginning of this series, and we'll keep saying that. When you understand his attributes better, it leads to better worship of him. So I want you to understand what it really means that he knows everything. I want you to see how incredible it is that he knows everything. I want you to see how how massive and how all-encompassing his knowledge is. So let's look at Psalm 139, read verses 1 through 6. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Look, I want you you to be amazed at the vastness of God's knowledge. So here's point one. Realize the depth of God's knowledge. Realize the depth. God's knowledge is deep. It's it's vast. His word tells us exactly what he knows. It's important for his children to understand the areas of God's knowledge. And we see in Psalm 139, first, the first thing that God tells us he knows in his omniscience is you. It's you. He knows everything there is to know about you. King David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. The word for search here, it means something like to spy out or to dig deeply. It's the same word that was used when the spies were sent into the promised land in the Old Testament. They were sent to search out the land. To to dig deep, to figure it out, to bring the report back. God has searched you. He knows you better than anyone knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what motivates you. He knows what temptations you struggle with the most. He knows the ones that are the hardest for you to turn away from. He knows all the sins you've ever committed, He knows the ones that you will commit. He sees your motives for everything, your good motives, your bad motives. He knows it all. He sees it all. And he even knows the things that you consider insignificant about yourself. Maybe there's small things about you that when other people notice, maybe it kind of makes you happy. Like, oh, you noticed. That's that's not really. God knows everything about you. Every little detail there is about you. He knows you because he searched you out. 
There isn't anything about you that God doesn't know. Nothing about you escapes the gaze of God. All the secrets that you keep from the people around you, God knows them. All the things about yourself that you're trying to keep hidden from other people, he knows them. Everything that you're too embarrassed to share or admit, God knows them. Everything that you're too afraid to speak up in, to speak up about in a small group, God knows it. And King David says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. When he uses the word know, you know my thoughts, you know when I sit down. It's the same exact word that's used to describe the physical relationship between a man and a wife. This intimate knowledge. God knows you intimately. He knows you deeply. The idea is that God knows you intimately. He doesn't just know the facts about you. You understand? He, just, he doesn't know how old you are. And just, it's not just how old you are and your hair color and when you were born and, and what you're going to do. He knows you deeply, relationally. You guys know the feeling that you get? Some of you guys met a celebrity today, Ray Comfort, right? Some of you guys met him. For the rest of your life, you're going to be able to be like, I know Ray Comfort. I know, I know. Caden's going to be able to say, I beat him in ping pong, and he, and he slapped me in the face. <laughs> Honestly, I would tell everybody that. He slapped me in the face, right? You met him, you, you, and you, you meet famous people, but, but you don't like, really know that person. You understand? Like you, you can say, oh, I know, I met them once. I, I know about them, but you don't know. You don't know that person. You haven't searched them out. You don't know that person intimately. You don't know that person the same way that you'll know your spouse one day. God knows you on a deeper level than just knowing about you. He, he knows you. He's got a relationship with you. If you're his child, he knows you. King David says, he knows when I sit and when I rise up. And this is, this is a literary technique, and it's called, um, it's called inclusion. Not inclusio, inclusion. And what that means is, you take two activities that are on opposite sides of the spectrum. See, sitting down and rising up. And so what, what's communicating here? is that God knows when you sit down, when you rise up, and everything in between. That's how deep his knowledge is of you when you sit down, when you rise up. He knows your thoughts from afar. He can discern your thoughts. He knows what you think. Nobody else knows your thoughts on a day-to-day, second-to-second basis. God does. He sees every thought you've ever had. He sees the thought that you're thinking right now. Every good thought, every pure thought, every bad thought, every impure, every lustful thought, every hateful, every judgmental thought you've ever had. He saw it. He knew it. He knows what you will think before the thought even crosses your mind. That's how well he knows you. 
It says, you search out my path, my, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Now, I know that's the same English word that we just saw, but it's different. The Hebrew word is different. It's not the same as the verse before. This word for search, it means more like to scrutinize. He's scrutinizing. He's examining you, inspecting you closely. God examines and sees the decisions you make on a daily basis. The things that you say, the thoughts of your mind. He sees it all. He knows it all. He knows exactly where you go, exactly what you do. He saw us travel up here for this retreat. He'll, he'll watch us. He knows where we'll be at tomorrow as we spread out across the park. He'll watch us gather back tomorrow night. He'll watch us do it again. He'll watch us travel home. And he sees when you're home and when you're resting, he's, he sees it all. He knows it all. The path that you're on, he knows it. And it says, even before a word is on my tongue, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And something cool about the word behold in the Old Testament is that word King David puts there to, to show emphasis. He doesn't, just want, he doesn't just want you to read by this like it's another, another phrase, another sentence. He wants you to say, look, look, yes, like, like look at this. Real, like, see what he's saying. Even before a word is on my tongue, listen, you know it altogether. Even before you say what you're going to say, he knows it's coming. That's how well he knows you. Every word you've ever said, God heard it. He saw you say it. Every encouraging thing, every edifying thing, but also every negative thing. Every, every time you've slandered someone, every time you've gossiped, every negative thing you've said, he saw. And it says, you hem me in. Hem. It, it doesn't mean hem like you hem your pants. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like you get something hemmed. That's not what that means. <laughs> What it means is to surround, to surround or to restrict the space or the movement of something. So King David says, God, you, you have me hemmed in. I'm, su I'm surrounded by you. You can start to see other attributes of God that we're going to cover this weekend here with that verse. But that's how well he knows you. He knows exactly where you are. You, he has you hemmed in, behind and before. And you lay your hand Upon me, the New American Standard uses the word enclosed. You have me enclosed because you know me. You know where I am. You know what I'm doing. When it says you, you lay your hand upon me, he, it's not that he just knows where you are and he's seeing you right now. He's protecting you. You feel safe because God knows where you are and what you're doing right now. And then King David, he, in verse 6, he says, Such knowledge, such knowledge, God, your knowledge, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. As David is writing this psalm, he's reflecting on God's omniscience, and he becomes overwhelmed with it. And it pushes him to worship God 
with this verse because of how omniscient he is, how all-encompassing his knowledge is. When he says it's, it's too wonderful, it's, it's, too, it's too delightful, it's, it's, it's too lovely, it's glorious. The fact that, God, you know everything. Paul reacted similarly in Romans 11. Starting in verse 33, he said, Oh, the depth. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You see, Paul's response to this was to worship God. Because he saw the depth of the riches, the wisdom, and the knowledge of God. God knows everything. He knows everything there is to know. It doesn't just stop with you. Another just mind-boggling thing about this is like, how many people are here right now? Like 60-something? I don't know. Right? 70-something? He, he knows every single one of us this way. The thoughts that you're thinking right now, he's discerning them all at the same time. That's how great he is. That's how, that's how awesome and powerful he is. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get there. The power, but we'll get there. And not just us, all 8 billion people, I think, on earth now at the same time. And then however many people there have been in history, his omniscience covers everyone. Everyone like this. It's amazing. That, it's overwhelming to think about how, how awesome that is. But again, it doesn't just stop with people. He knows everything there is to know. God never learns anything new. You understand? We learn something new, hopefully every day. God doesn't learn anything. No one teaches him. Right? That's what Paul said in Romans 11, right? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that might be repaid? He's saying no, no one teaches God anything. He knows it all already. God does not have to look through the tunnel of time to figure something out. And then he knows it. He knew it already. Because he determined it, like we talked about a few weeks ago. No one ever gives God an update on something that he doesn't know about. It's not like his angels are running around and saying, oh God, this happened today. And he's like, oh good, thanks for the report. He knows everything. He knows what's happening. He doesn't need that. No one can update God for anything. God never forgets anything. He, he knows it all. He never forgets it. He always knows everything that's happening at every moment. Everything there is. He knows it. Nothing is ever a surprise to God. We're surprised all the time. Nothing ever surprises God. Your struggles, the, the hardships that you face, they're a surprise to you and me, not God. Nothing surprises him because he knows it already. He knows what the future will bring. He knows everything. This, for me, I think this is just crazy for me. I hope, I hope it's as crazy for you to hear this as it was for me to study this, all right? He knows the actual and the possible. 
He knows what is, what is, what is actually happening, but he also knows the possible. You, know, you ever thought that before? I wonder what would happen if I had done this when I was 12 instead of this. You know what I'm talking about? Well, God knows. He knows that. Here, and I'll prove it to you. All right? In 1 Samuel 23, David asks God. He says, God, what will happen if Saul and his army come here, which is where he was at the city called um, uh, Kayla or Kyla or something like that. He's at the city. And God tells David, if Saul comes here, the men of the city will not fight them. They will hand you and your men over to Saul. That's what will happen. And so what does David do? He runs away. He gets out of there. When God said it, he took his men, he ran away, he escaped the hands of Saul. And people will, will say, well, what happened there was like, God, uh, David, David actually changed the future. That's what David, like, this was what was going to happen? Like, no. <laughs> he knew the possible. You understand? Like, he knew what was actually going to happen, and what actually was going to happen was David was going to run. But when David said, hey God, what would happen if I stayed? He said, oh, if you do this, this is what would happen. That's how vast his knowledge is. Here's another one. In Matthew 11, Jesus compares the cities of um, Capernaum, Chorazin, Chorazin, and uh, Bethsaida to Sodom and Gomorrah. And what he says is, if, if the miracles that Jesus had been performing in, in those cities had happened back in Sodom and Gomorrah, those people would have repented. You see, they, they, they didn't repent. God judged them. But he was saying, if this would have happened there, they would have repented, trying to show them the hardness of heart of the people then. I hope this is making sense, okay? He knows the actual and the possible, the possible outcomes. He knows the, the thoughts, he knows the feelings, he knows the, the desires, the motives of all people. He, he, he knows all of the mysteries across the universe. Think about all the things that we don't know about creation, about things across the universe. He knows it all. He knows everything there is to know. There's so many verses over and over. 1 Samuel 2, 3, the Lord is a God of knowledge. Job 21, 22, can anyone teach God knowledge? The answer is no. No one can teach him knowledge. And then later, Job says that God is the one who is perfect in knowledge. He says it again in the next chapter in Job 37. God is perfect in knowledge. And then Isaiah, in Isaiah 40, says, Who taught him knowledge? Who informed him? Talking about God. No one did. No one taught him anything. No one had to inform him of anything. And then in 1 John 3, it says that God knows all things. So many places in Scripture where God tells us he knows everything. He knows all things. Isaiah 46, 10, it says, I am God and there is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done. From the beginning, he declared, I know how it's going to end. I know everything along the way. I know what every single person will choose to do. I know every single leaf that will fall from a tree and hit the ground. Everything. He knows everything from the very beginning. He knew everything. 
This is also interesting. God, he doesn't just know you and me perfectly. He knows himself perfectly. Each person of the Trinity knows each other perfectly. Matthew eleven twenty seven. no one knows the Son except the Father. John 10, 15, the Father knows me. This is Jesus. The Father knows me and I know the Father. 1 Corinthians 2, the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. And then the very next verse, 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, The thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. So you see, there's this perfect knowledge of the Trinity, of God knows himself perfectly. He knows, he sees everything. He sees everything in his created universe. There's not, there's not an inch anywhere across everything God has created that he isn't familiar with. That he doesn't, that he doesn't know. He knows everything. Like, we're on earth, right? And, and there's the ocean. And there's this crazy statistic about the ocean that, like, we haven't explored, like, 80 or something percent of the ocean. Is it even more? Who knows the actual number? Less than that? Like, something crazy? Like, whatever. The point is, like, we're here, okay? And <laughs> I didn't mean for that to sound rude. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> whatever the number is is what I meant. The point is, we, we don't even know the place that we're living, but, but God does. And then beyond the place that we're living, he knows every inch of the universe. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is out of his reach. Job 28, 24 says, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the stars. In Genesis 16, Hagar called God El Roy. You know what El Roy means? The God who sees. And that's, that's significant because Hagar was unwanted. Right? Her, her child was unwanted. She, she was running away, but God saw them. God protected them, and her response was, God, you are the God who sees. You are El Roy. When you're tempted to think that God isn't seeing you, when you're tempted to think that God has left you, just remember that God is El Roy. He's the God who sees. The prophet in Second Chronicles, Hani, said, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Now, God doesn't actually have eyes. He doesn't physically have eyes. But he sees. He knows everything. His eyes run to and fro, back and forth across the earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Proverbs 15 says something similar. In verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. God's eyes are everywhere. God knows everything. He sees everything. He understands everything perfectly. God is never confused. I get confused sometimes. You get confused sometimes. There's things in life that you don't understand that take a minute or longer for you to grasp you know, your, your mind around. It never happens to God. He understands everything perfectly. Psalm 147, 5, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. He never gets confused. He never needs advice. He never needs help. He understands everything perfectly. And God knows everything down to the smallest detail. Job 37, 16, do you know the balancing of the clouds? 
That's what God is saying. Do you know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? Matthew 10, 29 and 30 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. He knows everything down to the smallest detail. You guys, were you guys at um, Capture the Flag the other night? Did you guys come play? <laughs> Ryan found a, a dead bird, right? Just like, just like almost picked it up. We were putting the, the sticks down. Like he found this, this bird, died, fell out of the sky, hit the ground, dead. Like God saw it happen. That seems like such an insignificant thing. But he knows. He knows every bird that falls from the sky. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. He knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. Something that we don't, I mean, maybe you care. I don't care about it. Maybe if you don't have it, you care that you don't have it anymore. But he knows the hairs on your head. When you're tempted to think that you are insignificant, remember these things. That a bird doesn't fall out of the sky without God noticing. That he knows the hairs on your head. That's how significant you are as one that was created in his image. He sees you. Everything about you is known to him. He cares for you so thoroughly that even he, he knows the number of hairs on your head. And God remembers everything. He remembers all things. He doesn't ever forget what he knows. Genesis 8.1 says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the livestock that were with him in the ark. This doesn't imply that God forgot something. It's not like when you forget where your keys are and then you remember it. Like, oh, I remember where I put them. It doesn't mean that God was like, oh, I forgot about Noah. And then, oh, I remember them now. They're in the ark. It means that he never forgot about them in the first place. He always knew where they were. He, he was remembering them all along. He knew exactly where they were. He never forgot the promise that he made to Noah to see him and his family through the flood. In Isaiah 43:25, it says that God will not remember your sins. But wait, wait didn't we just say that God doesn't forget anything? God will not remember your sins. This is not saying that God actually forgets about your sin. He doesn't forget anything. He knows that you committed sins, but he will no longer judge you because of them. He, he knows them, but he doesn't know them judicially. You understand? He doesn't know them and, and, and go to punish them. If you've trusted in Christ, the punishment went to Christ. So he knows what you've done but he doesn't know them judicially. So look, when we say that God knows everything, this is what we mean, and we could keep going on and on and on. And I hope to some extent that's what you do in your small groups is you talk about the depths of this and what does this mean? What does God know? When you think about God's knowledge, I hope that you realize the depths of this, this truth. It's a life-changing truth. And for Christians, it should, it should make an impact on our lives practically, all right? So here's point number two. I want you to, number two, know that God sees your every move. 
right? After you hear something like this about God's omniscience, Christians, we should think to ourselves, what does that mean for me? What, what, what are the implications of this for me? It may be obvious, but of course it means that God sees everything you do. You can never do anything that's hidden from God's eyes. You never do anything in secret from him. You can hide things from other people, from your friends, from your parents, whatever. But you cannot hide anything from God. And, and listen, your relationship with sin it should be changed by this thought that God sees everything that you do. It should make our minds think, to, to, okay, he sees everything I do. He sees when I sin. He knows it's happening, when it's happening. When I think that I'm hiding this from everyone, when I think that I've got this sin going on and I'm, and I'm safe and no one knows about it, we're foolish to think that. Because even though no, nobody, no person knows about it, God knows and he sees. And so look, by now, you should know how bad sin is. God hates sin. It's rebellion against a holy God. Like for, for Christians, for us to choose sin over choosing God, it's essentially a slap to his face. Like even though that you've done this for me, that you, that you have sent your son to save me, even though I know this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to choose sin over obedience. It's, it's, it's rebellion. It's terrible. God hates it. So what we should do, what we should all do, is take the knowledge of, of how much God hates sin, and then we should couple that with the fact that God literally sees you each time you sin. He sees it happening. He sees it unfolding. He's watching you make the little compromises with yourself. Oh, this is fine. I can do this. I, I can go. I can look at this. I can go this far. It's fine. Oh, I'll get out of it. I won't, I won't go as far as I know that I can. He sees the little steps you take towards sin. And then he sees you committing your sin. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. God is watching what you do. So the fact that God is watching what you do, I think it should motivate you to choose to obey rather than to sin. And I think that some people are going to say, that's, that, that's a fear-based tactic. I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that. You're trying, you're trying to scare me into doing the right thing. Well, I mean, it does have a lot to do with fear. Not in that way, though. It's not... Fear of being smitten by God that he's going to kill you, drop you. He, he could, but that's not what we're talking about. God deserves to be feared. The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. We should fear the Lord. So the fear that you have, the reverence that you have for God, the respect that you have for God should motivate you, should push you to say, you know what? I know that God is always watching me, and I don't want him to watch me sin. I don't, I don't want this, because I respect him, I revere him, I love him too much. I think that's simple. It's, it's practical. It could, it could change your behavior, your attitude. I want you to think back to when you were a little kid. Think back to when you were five, six, seven, whatever. 
Were you more or less likely to do something wrong if you knew your parents were watching? Answer me. You're less likely, right? I remember that if there was even the slightest chance, like, I, I don't even, I didn't even know for sure they were watching, but I had this, like, feeling like, okay, they might be watching. There's a chance they might be. That would then push me to be like, okay, I'm not going to disobey them. You understand? Like, sometimes I don't even know for a fact that they're watching, but then I'm like, okay, they might be there, so I'm going to choose to obey them. I've <laughs> got a brother named Austin. He's two years younger than me. Um, when he was a kid, when he was young, he had this, this foolproof, genius, ge- just, he's a genius. I love him. Genius plan that he was, you know, this was how he was going to get away with doing something that was wrong. He was going to go to the pantry and shut the door. He's gonna, he was going to put himself in the pantry. And then he was going to, like, I don't know, eat a snack when he, when he shouldn't have. He was going to play his Game Boy when mom said put it away. You know, just anything, like, anything silly like that. He's like, oh, if she can't see me, she doesn't know what's happening right? Well, there's this one morning where Austin was like, hey, mom, can I, can I please have a soda before school? Before he, this is literally kindergarten for him, okay? He's like, I want, I want a Coke or whatever, Dr. Pepper. And my mom's like, no, you're not having that. Remember, Austin's a genius, all right? So what he does is he takes this soda and he goes to the pantry and he shuts the door. He chugs it, throws it away, goes to school, right? Well, that day, he gets sent home with a note, right? He was a terrible all day, just out of his mind, crazy, and my mom is like, what happened? And he's like, he's kindergarten, and he's like, well, probably because I had the Dr. Pepper this morning, right? <laughs> look, I mean, look, that's silly, but the point is, like, he, he was, he was going to hide himself from them so he could, he could sin. I mean, he could do these things that were wrong, and like, oh, I'm safe because she's not seeing me. So when, when we're a, a child, we understand that it's, it's wrong to do something wrong, all the time, right? But then it's even worse. It's, it's somewhat magnified whenever your parents are watching. Like, oh, I'm not going to do this because my parents are watching me. Well, how much more should that healthy fear of God be? Because we know that he's watching all the time. That he sees everything that you're doing. You think that when you're behind your closed door at your house at night and no one's watching that you're safe and you can do whatever you want. But the fact of the matter is that God is seeing it. And to us, that should be even, we should be even more grieved to sin against God in that way than we would be if other people found out about our sin. But sometimes that's not how we are. Sometimes we would rather all these people never figure out about my sin and the whole time knowing that God sees it all, but just not even thinking twice about it. Sometimes we can like live in this false reality that if we just don't acknowledge our sin, to God, if we just don't pray about it, we don't think about it, then we just never have to deal with it, and then it's fine. Then everything's fine. Like, you know you're sinning. You know that you're stuck in something, but you've convinced yourself, if I, oh, if I just leave this alone, then everything will be fine. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't need it. Just don't deal with it, and then everything's fine. And it's foolish, because God sees it. It doesn't make a difference if you bring it up to him. You should. You should confess it and repent of it, but he's still seeing it all. You're not, you're not fooling him. You're not hiding from him. Adam and Eve tried to hide from God, and it didn't work, did it? Genesis 3.8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
God called out and said, where are you? He knew where they were. He knew exactly what had happened. He knew exactly where they were. His question was, it was about getting them to talk to him. Nothing can be hidden from God. You can't hide anything from God. You can't hide sin from God. He knows it. So if you're trying to fool God by the way that you're living, then you just need to give it up. If you think, oh, I'm fooling everyone, it's fine, everybody, everybody. You could, you can fool me, you can fool your leaders. You're not going to fool God. He sees it, he knows it. God's omniscience it should cause you to be careful about what you do, about what you say, about how you treat other people. Because he sees it all. Maybe you don't struggle with many like outward-facing sins, but maybe your thought life is an, is an issue. Maybe your thought life is a struggle. And sometimes we, we can convince ourselves even that, oh, it's only up here, so it's not actually as bad. But we know that Jesus completely turns that argument around, right? Because he says, you hate someone, you've murdered, you've looked lustfully, and you've committed adultery, right? So thought life, bad. You're sinning in your thoughts, still sin. Maybe you're quick to think negatively about others. Maybe you are always assuming the worst in others. Maybe you're thinking horrible thoughts about other people. Maybe you're angry with people and you think things towards them that you shouldn't. Maybe you're hating others up here, but you're pretending not to. Maybe you have lustful thoughts all the time, but God knows your thoughts too. So whenever we sin... You just need to repent. You need to confess to God. Because you're not fooling him. You're not tricking him. Now, the reverse side of this is that God sees all of the good things that you do, all the good things that you say, all the good things that you think. And that's great. That's good. We've, like, we've, I, I want God to see all the good things I do, but I don't want him to see the bad things I do, right? He sees it all. He sees your kindness, your generosity, your love for others, your patience, your humility, your encouragement of other people. He sees it and he knows it all. And thinking this way can motivate us to obedience in the same way. He'll see me when I sin. I don't want to do that. He'll see me when I obey. So I want to obey. Jesus, he, he had something to say about this, about the fact that God knows, he sees the good things that you do. Matthew 6, verse, starting in verse 3, he says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. All right, so you see in these verses, like you can do things in secret from other people. But everything you do in secret, it's not secret between you and God. He knows it. He sees everything. The good things that you do. So, there's no reason to tell everybody about how good you are. There's no reason to constantly be talking about, oh, the good thing that you did. The generous thing that you did. The nice thing that you did. Hey, the other day I did this and it was so nice. It was so great. I did these. I gave money to this person. There's no reason to go and to tell people about this because God, he sees it. He saw it. And he says he'll reward it. 
But this verse is implying, like, the second that you go and you tell everybody, hey, look at this good thing I did, that's your reward. For people to be like, oh, great, that's, you're such a good person. And then the feeling you get, like, yeah, I am a good person, that's your reward. But we should want the reward that God will give us in secret. Before I became a Christian, um, I was really proud of how good, how good I was. You know, like, long story short, I had a profession of faith when I was six, got baptized then, and my relationship with God essentially was, I'm just going to always do the right thing. It didn't have anything to do with repentance or pleasing him or the fact that my sin grieved him. It didn't have any, all it had to do with was just like, oh, now I need to always do the right thing. And that made me into this 13, 14-year-old kid who was really, really proud about how good I was. Like all the teachers in my school were like, oh, you're, thank you for being so good. Thank you, thank you for being obedient in my class. Thank you for being, for being a good student, right? And I loved it. I ate it up. I was like, yeah, I am good. I was really proud of the fact that like, I didn't get in trouble much at home. Like Austin was the one who got in trouble, not me. You know, I was proud of that. If you're not careful, that, 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 can, that can be a normal thing, right? You, you can be so obsessed with appearing good. You're telling people about how good you are, right? But if, you, if you're doing good things, godly things, out of the right motivation, God says, you don't have to go and tell everybody because he sees it all, and he'll reward you in secret. I was, uh, I was scrolling through Facebook the other day. Um, there's this lady who sent me a friend request, I don't even know. You know, sometimes you're like, oh, I know of that. Do you guys have Facebook? Maybe this is, okay, all right, you know what I'm talking about, okay. <laughs> this lady sent me a friend request. I know of her, like a friend of a friend, like a family friend, and I was like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll accept her friend request. Well, she put this post out there, and it caught my attention because <laughs> she posted this picture, and she was in her, like, her driver's seat of her car, and she had posted a picture of this random, like, really raggedy-looking dude in the backseat of her car. I was like, what is this? <laughs> and so I click on it, and I'm, I'm reading the caption, and I'm not, I'm not even kidding. Like, she was just gushing about this good deed that she did. Oh, I met this guy on the side of the road, and he, he was looking for some food, and so I took him in, and I gave him some food, and I gave him a ride, and, and I bought him some clothes, and I sent him off, and like, I shared the gospel with him, and like, like Christians, we should do this more often. That's what her post said, right? And like, I didn't say anything. I wanted to, but I didn't, because um, other people were doing it for me, right? Like, people were, 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 you know, putting that verse that we just read in her comments. Like, what are you doing? Like, you don't need to do this. This, you don't have to post this on on Facebook. Like, it's great that you did this for the person, but just leave it there. Like, leave it alone. Don't try and spin this into some, like, oh, Christians, let's come together and do better. Like, just leave it. God sees the bad. He sees the good. Look, he knows all. He sees all. He sees your every move. And just like David responded, just like Paul responded, and, and just like so many other verses in Scripture I want you to do this. Point number three, let God's omniscience move you to worship. 
right? David said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. I want you to just think about how awesome it is that he does know all. I want your realization of God's omniscience to motivate you to worship. When you worship God, tell him that he's awesome. Because of his attributes, because of his omniscience. I'm going to read these verses again from Romans 11. This is the way Paul responded. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might, not, how, he, that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. God knows everything. No one is like our God. Do you worship him like that's true? When you worship him, or are you worshiping him like, like there truly is none other than our God? He knows it all. And like all God's attributes, this is awesome. And he should be worshiped appropriately for how awesome he is. Let's pray. God, you are truly awesome. You you see all, you, you know all things. God, help us to understand what it means that you really do know everything. God, I pray that this evening has, has served to Give us a a better understanding of who you are, God, of of your omniscience. God, help us to remember that you see us all the time. Help help that to practically affect our lives. God, to run from sin because of our fear and reverence of you. God, to strive to obey you because we want you to see us obeying you. God, help us now as we sing this final song to give you the worship that you are due. I pray that, God, this whole summer, this whole series studying your attributes has affected us in a way that makes us love you and worship you better and deeper. So be with us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand.
make this easier, Annie just sent a Slack message to leaders about where to go. So find your leader and then follow your leader to your small group location. And then we will have dessert and be back in here at 9.30. Dessert in the cafeteria. Good question. Dessert is happening in the cafeteria when you're done.